Welcome to the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease podcast. I'm James Nurse, the social media editor at the journal. Every fortnight, we try to bring you new content related to journal articles to try to pique your interest and let the authors tell you a little bit more about what they were thinking. We've a back catalogue stretching back two years, so be sure to check it out, but not before this latest episode where we ask CDG or not CDG. So the congenital disorders of glycosylation are this rapidly growing group of disorders that were only first reported in 1980 and now have over 160 distinct groups with thousands of confirmed cases across the world. However, as the new disorders are identified, it isn't always clear whether they should be included and some older disorders could in hindsight actually be classed as disorders of glycosylation. So with that in mind, at the Scientific CDG Symposium in 2021, a group of interested clinicians started to consider this topic and asked CDG or not CDG. This question was put to the group by Dr. Hudson Fries, and I'm delighted to be joined by him and Professor Yak Yakin, who initially described the first congenital sort of glycosylation. Hud and Yak, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, James. Much appreciated. Now... I know the discussion began at the definition. Did you at least agree on that? I, I, I would say so. I think there wasn't not much problem with that. Yeah, do you think so? No, I, I agree with you. Uh, absolutely. Uh, although glycosylation uh, is a terrible machinery, uh, it turned out to be not so difficult to arrive at a uh, consensus. Uh, but glycosylation is, in fact, first of all, the construction of a glycan and then the attachment of this glycan to either proteins or, or lipids, so even uh, small RNA, as we know, since uh, last year. But there are a number of factors involved in, in the making of the glycan and the attachment of the glycan. There are numerous enzymes and transporters and receptors, and uh, the pH should be uh, right, and uh, a number of other things have to be uh, in, in place. And obviously, they can occur anywhere in this pathway of glycosylation, can't they? Yes. And if we return to this definition, do the CDG that are already agreed on conform to these rules? Are there any that shouldn't be there anymore? Well, I, I think the, the ones that we have traditionally uh, counted should still stay. I don't think that changes, you know, for, for a couple of reasons. One is the community has become very accustomed to being part of a family. And I think there is a buy-in from the glycobiology community who sees the relationship even though that community may be mostly basic scientists who, who look at glycosylation sort of as purists, you might say, uh, they're also aware that the emerging number of CDGs is good for the glycobiology field because it's encompassing. But they also realize that, that patients find a home within that. And I think that's been, that's been embraced from the obscurity of glycobiology I guess we can say, you know, over the last uh, several decades, we, we sort of missed the big DNA and protein revolution about how everything could be mechanized because glycosylation is so individual. So, so yes, I think that, that all those that are currently been in should, should remain there. There are a couple that you mentioned that perhaps were you to start again from scratch wouldn't necessarily fall within the umbrella. Is that right or is, have I misinterpreted that? Yeah, I think, you know, as we began to, how can I say, branch out from 
just the molecules that are actually involved in making glycoproteins, the enzymes, the glycosidases that process sugar chains. I think as we branch out from there, you begin to understand that the integrity of the Golgi, for instance, is important. And so all of these trafficking disorders sort of made their way in. And I think what began to happen was that there was the maybe uh, premature jump to say that anything that was part of a complex where glycosylation had been affected by one of the members would also be included just by virtue of being part of that complex. And we sort of took a step back from that and said, well, yes, if you can show that that, that causes abnormal glycosylation, then we were willing to include that. We thought that criterion was, was important because there are a number of, of disorders that, that may not quite qualify that, that some people were sort of adding in. And so we've tried to take a step back and, and be more rigorous about that. So that was one of the things. And I think certainly within the editorial, you talk about defects in glycan-modifying enzymes, transporters, and modifications with sulfate, phosphate, amino acids, and fatty acids. Are these things that should all be CDG? If I may say, uh, initially, in fact, I was against. That uh, was not. <laughs> but when you look, of course, to uh, PMM2 CDG and MPI CDG, it is clear that they are, in fact, phosphate modifications of glycans. And uh, when I realized that uh, I agreed to include these modifications, and because I think these attachments to glycans are important also for the glycan function, but of course, it can increase enormously the group of CDG. And that is a problem, I think, that the number of CDG is very large, that there are so many symptoms, that the problems are so, so different. It is a problem for the patient community, I think. When you look at other communities, for example, the galactosemia, where you have only four defects, or for example, the cystic fibrosis, but only in fact one defect, that is really a homogeneous community. Uh, but in CDG, I think patients often do not feel to belong to one community because it is such an enormous thing. And from a scientific point of view, it is important to keep, I think, the broad umbrella denomination CDG. But from a patient's viewpoint, I can imagine that we create several patient groups, for example, one with a CDG due to an N-glycosylation defect, another group with O-glycosylation defect, and so on, so that the groups are more restricted and patient can more feel at home, let me say. It's, it's interesting you've talked about wanting patient groups that might be more clearly defined, but obviously with these disorders, which I mean, outside of PMM2, most of them struggle to get into three figures for the number of recognised cases so far. There is an advantage in being part of a, a larger cohort, isn't there? Yes, of course. Some of the defects of the number of patients are extremely small. We have several CBG and only one or two patients. And then on the other hand, you have PMM2 CDG with about 1,000 patients. I think only PMM2 CDG would be a nice homogeneous group. But I don't know what you would think about that to make a patient group just with only PMM2 CDG. That would already be a very homogeneous and interesting group. Well, you know, the other thing I, I think about is the dystroglycanopathies. Because there, uh, it's primarily affecting, maybe even exclusively affecting one protein. 
And it's a very unique glycan that's found only on that protein, alpha-glucose glycan. Now, there may be a few others, but that's, that's certainly the main one. And you see such a broad phenotypic spectrum. Uh, you have muscle eye brain disease, you know, that is, is really quite severe. And then there are others that will be a relatively mild limb girdle, muscular dystrophy. So I mean, there's an enormous span of patient interest. And I know it, it was very interesting. I, I spoke at a dystrophy meeting a couple of years ago, and it was on FKRP. And it turns out, I never realized this, but there are a couple thousand patients. And so because of, of this, and, you know, the range is much narrower in, in, in therapeutic types. And so what was interesting is I thought, oh, well, we have to invite them to be part of the CDG meeting. And so I had several uh, presentations that focused on that. But there were none of the patients that came. And, and I think that's a really good They have already their group. They already have their group. That's, that's right. And so they would have been totally unaware and totally indifferent to being qualified as a CDG. They don't care. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, as, as you bring up this point about, you know, how does this impact the patient group? So I, so I think it can be variable. So uh, with galactosemia, uh, if we call them CDG, they may say, I'm sorry, we already have a home. We don't care. You deal with it as you will, but we don't care. Because galactosemia, you would count as a CDG. I would, but there may be different opinions. <laughs> We're not going to rebrand it as GELT CDG then. No, but that's not really necessary for the patient because they have already their own group. And on the other hand, I think it is a secondary CDG. It's not really a primary CDG, but okay, we, we, are, we have a different opinion on this. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've talked about it from the patient side there. So in the, the last two years, I've done the podcast on the simplified classification of inherited metabolic disease. And I've also talked about the international classification of inherited metabolic disease, which is the, the now accepted kind of approach. The simplified classification has a lot of clinicians who are fans because outside of the the experts and the scientists, for general pediatricians like myself, we like things simple. And CDG feels simple when you look at it from afar. And obviously, if you get very close up, it seems a lot more diverse and complicated. So there, there are clinicians who quite like simplicity too. And, and Dr. Yachtin was was really the one who advocated for simplicity in naming. That was actually a brilliant move. Uh, we were getting into uh, you know Roman numerals uh, that could have gone on forever, <laughs> and, and he came along with this idea of just uh, you know have it in the family of C. Just use the gene name, and to me that just simplified things so much. That was a stroke of brilliance. Thank you. And if if we can agree that this is this hugely heterogeneous group of genetic disorders that are perhaps loosely connected by their involvement in glycosylation, how is it that one CDG can give two different diseases? Because this is something that you talk about again with the editorial. For me, this remains in the domain of the biochemical mysteries, but maybe a Hertz hypothesis about that. <laughs> you throw me the hard ones, Jack. <laughs> Well, I, I think it's, it's humbling in some ways because we think we know all these things when we have recessive disorders. And then suddenly it comes along something like Saul Wilson syndrome. And is that COG-4 CDGs? That's COG-4, yes. And it is primarily a de novo disorder 
in one of the trafficking molecules and it, it's dominant and it gives a very unique and very reproducible phenotype. And so it's a primordial dwarfism. But if you look at the autosomal recessive, the biallelic mutations, those patients are quite different. And so as we try to wrestle with this, we realize that, of course, we don't know everything, which is, I guess, no surprise. But what it does for us is to take us back to the basic science and say, well, how does that single amino acid change in one subunit? How does that account for this very unique phenotype? So it puts it back in the uh, bushel basket, I guess you could say, of trying to figure out the basic science. And there are several other examples of that. And I think from my standpoint, it's it's very humbling uh, to think we have this simplistic idea and nature says, no, 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 no. God designed it another way. You guys go figure out what that is. Um, And so I suppose finally, you were asking the question, CDG or not CDG. When we did the podcast on the ICIMD, they said that whenever a new condition was discovered, that it could be submitted to this group and they would say, is this or is this not inherited metabolic disease? When someone now finds a, a possible disorder of glycosylation, you know, who are they going to call? Is it is it you two? Do you guys say this is this is it? Rubber stamp it, CDG? I think across somebody with a great experience in the field and who has made uh, some major contributions. But I think we three, Hutt and uh, Gert and, and myself, we are three scientists uh, that are complementary, uh, clinician, a uh, biochemist and a geneticist. I think this is an ideal combination. And of course, other people may join, that is evident. But I think we three can already try to solve the problem uh, and to, to see if CDG that are in the waiting room it should be called really CDG. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, we're not the, the final determiners of this. I think we could periodically get together and, and say, what do you think about this disorder? Should it be? And I think the criteria are spelled out well enough in the article that it should be straightforward. But I'm sure there are going to be exceptions as we, as we go forward. Uh, I invite certainly other people to think about this and talk about it. And I know that there's a group of glycobiologists who are much more of the purest biochemists, you might say, who will have a perspective. And that perspective you know, needs to be considered, but also from the standpoint of the clinician trying to get your hands around all of these different disorders. I mean, I, you know, I get that that needs to be taken into account as well. And uh, I think this is an ongoing process and we're just going to have to take it as it comes and, and deal with it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, you, you think so? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I've, I've seen something that you presented recently, Hud, where you've got this wonderful graph that shows how the number of CDGs has increased over the last 40 years. I think I said at the beginning it's 160. I think you said it was around 170. How many could it end up being? <laughs> Well, we've always used this uh, figure of 2% of uh, the translated genome could be involved in glycosylation. So if you accept that number, there could be 400 CDGs. And I don't think at the time we looked at that, we were even considering all of the trafficking proteins. And that's why, again, you have to show that there is an effect on glycosylation to qualify. There are a lot of carbohydrate binding proteins. 
And so if their interaction with sugar chains is disturbed because of mutation in those, well, you might count those as CDGs. And there are examples of that. So I hope we keep it under a couple hundred. But to me, one of the biggest problems, and I think you could probably add more to this, when it gets this large, it's hard to know, is the abnormality of glycosylation in itself responsible for the patient's phenotype, right? And certainly in the trafficking disorders, glycosylation may be an indicator, but that's not the cause of the pathology. And it may differ in different cell types and different organs. And, and that's where it gets really mushy. Yeah. Indeed, uh, these proteins that have many functions, not only in glycosylation, but also in other pathways, such as an oxygen effect, for example, that makes it indeed complicated. And there are many, many others, I guess. So that the number will be not only from these 2%, but also from other proteins that we do not yet know if they are involved in glycosylation or not. So we've, we've still got lots to learn then. I think so, yeah. Well, thank you both. I think it's, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I can judge what I didn't learn at medical school as being a, a measure of what people did and didn't know 20 years ago. But it's strange to think of a condition that I had never heard of 20 years ago and is now this increasingly common rare disease. So I'd like to read that editorial. Please click the link in the podcast description or go to the journal website and search for CDG or not CDG. Um, thank you both for shedding some light on on where we're at with it now and also where it's going. Well, thank you for the invitation to come in. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.